And here we go. That's right. You're back in Redsline. And what do we got for you tonight? Well, specifically, it's a rain delay Redsline game recap. And how did this game go down, you're wanting to know? Well, was there more drama? Was there more action? Was there more David Bell lineup craziness? Well, yes, we had all of it today, including Joey Votto leading off again, which is a mistake of epic proportions. Um, which my player get on base most times? Um, OBP. I would bat him lead off because he lead league in OBP seven times. I've got it up to here, David Bell. What are you doing? Anyways, despite you batting Joey Votto lead off for no reason, you pay the guy to put the baseball bat against the baseball. You don't pay him to lead off and set the table. And I don't care if he's got the highest on-base percentage on the team. This is about to drive me insane. I'm about to go Tony Soprano and and go get some therapy because I don't know if I can handle this much more. Anyway, so let's get back into this game. First inning, Joey Votto strikes out. It's not because he's leading off. I just wanted to point out that these, these umpires, as I've said this entire series, are crazy. This strike zone was here, there, everywhere. The strike zone, let me put it this way, ladies and gentlemen. The strike zone was a fluid uh, rectangle, you know, that liked to move based on how the umpire was feeling. And it wasn't just for the Reds. It was for both teams. They were both hollering at them. But anyway, this strike zone was something to be behold tonight. And anyway, to make a long story short, they got the scoring in the third going. Basically, what had happened was Luis Castillo, who's like batting under 100, which is not a big deal for a pitcher, but he gets a single, and, you know, that's all he's going to be talking about tonight probably because he had this big grin on his face. And then what happens after that? Well, Joey Votto walks. Well, here's what happened. There were uh, two outs already, and Suarez comes up. And let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Suarez hit two baseballs that should have been home runs. I mean, they hit the top of the yellow on the fence in uh, left center field and left field, basically. And uh, I think that was backwards. But anyway, I think the first one was the left field, and the next one was the left center field in the fifth or sixth anyway to make a long story short this ball I, I think it's gone for a three-run home run and what had happened was Castillo scores and the problem was that Suarez hit the ball so hard that I don't think he got out of there right away because he you know give it his normal uh, uppercut swing and I don't I'm not saying he sat there and looked at it like Derek Dietrich's you know getting on a uh, lawn chair and drinking a margarita and watching his home run drop. I'm saying that I don't think he got out of the out of the box fast enough just because I think he thought it was gone. And he just got gunned down in the second base for the out. These Reds have had some horrible base running blunders. Dietrich got thrown out later. Uh, Winker got thrown out at third later. But anyways, to make a long story short, the Reds could have scored at least I'm going to say two more runs in this game if they just hadn't had bad base running. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, that's where your Cincinnati Reds go up one to nothing. And how is Luis Castillo pitching? Well, I got to tell you, and I don't want anybody to be alarmed by this information, but um, Luis Castillo is pitching great. He only has two strikeouts. It's like the Atlanta Braves have watched so much tape on him that they're more timing him, and um, he just wasn't getting a lot of Ks. Like I said, he pitched uh, six innings, six-plus innings, because the seventh was crazy. But uh, anyways, two Ks through basically six-plus. But here's the thing about Luis Castillo. The Reds are using this shift as a cookie cutter against any left-handed person like 
Let me put it this way. If the bat boy was left-handed for the Braves or any other team, the Reds are going to put a shift on him, okay? Because Camargo, who's no world beater by any means, 23 years old, got some pretty good wheels, hit tools, okay, not crazy, you know. He got a hit, and he's he's not even hitting 230 coming to this game, and you're putting a shift on him? Anyways, the Reds – okay, so let me get back to this. Castillo give up eight hits, and I'll guarantee you two or three of them were because of this crazy shift on players that don't even need it. I mean, it's it's insane because, like I said, Camargo, he, he hit a ball to right – he hit a ball that would have been fielded and thrown out, and then I don't think we get in this problem in the seventh, which I'll tell you about. So anyway, Reds, uh, David Bell – I didn't get that one out very good, but whoever is telling you to, if the person's breathing and left-handed at the plate to do a shift, hey, come down off your ledge for a second. You don't know what you're doing. Anyways, to make a long story short, I got to tell you about the third inning when uh, Freddie Freeman hits this ball to right field, and it, was a, it wasn't really a thing of beauty. But Yasiel Puig, who uh, missed that ball yesterday, and I told you about Tanner Roark consoling him, and I even watched some tape of Roark, and he was like, hey, you know, I, I just want to tell that guy that he was hustling, trying to get that ball. I'm never going to be upset. And, in fact, I just want to tell him that, you know, everything was cool and I'm proud of him and to go back out there. It was a really cool – um, interview, and if you haven't seen it, you got to go find it online, and and you'll really like Tanner Rourke like fifty times better. And I'm not saying you didn't like him; I'm just saying you'll like this guy fifty times better. You know, basically just because of you know the kind of teammate he is. Anyways, so back to Freddie Freeman and this base hit to right field. Yasiel Puig, it kind of goes off of his uh, glove a little bit and kind of trips over. And I'm going to say it it went another four or five, six foot. Well, Freddie Freeman makes the turn at first. Puig picks up this baseball and, I mean, streamlines it to second base to give Freddie Freeman. And I'm telling you what, they have got to give. I know it's only April 25th, but Yasiel Puig has done more to win a gold glove in only the month of April that I can that I can really think of any outfielder, you know, other than center fielders, you know, Griffey and Mike Cameron and guys like that, uh, Torrey Hunter. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that, but he's done more as a right fielder to pull down a gold glove than any player I've seen in such a short period of time. He really cares about winning. He really cares about backing up his teammates and pitchers. And I'm telling you right now, Dick Williams, I said it before. I'm going to say it again. you got to lock this guy down to a five- or six-year deal, take advantage of him not hitting so great right now, which is coming around, you know, uh, hitting. Uh, but to make a long story short, that third inning play was awesome. If you haven't seen it, go on Facebook. Uh, Cincinnati Reds recaps. You can watch it. It's amazing. And anyway, to make a longer story short, so we get to the fifth. And in the fifth inning, that's when the Reds had some more ducks on the pond. They had ducks on the pond before, but it wasn't really uh, super, you know, there wasn't anything other than like, who cares? Let me just go on. So the bottom of the fifth comes up, and hey, Scott Shebler, you know, he walks. I, I will give him credit. He did give a ball a ride pretty hard to first base again earlier or later, and he did get, you know, out on that. But to make a long story short, Shebler walked for some unknown reason. Luis Castillo lays a perfect bunt down. Shebler goes to second. Iglesias uh, singles, and Shebler probably could have scored if he was just watching what was going on, but he just went to third. Um, and then your deal, uh, Votto strikes out again, which is kind of alarming. He's still my favorite player. I just think he's probably frustrated with his strike zone. Anyway, to make a – how many times am I going to say to make a longer story short? This is, a, this is almost alarming. Anyways, so this is when Suarez hits the ball to left center field, and I'm thinking this is another three-run jack. Well, it, it he actually made it to second base this time, ladies and gentlemen, with a double – 
But, I mean, we're talking like he should have two home runs and basically should literally have two three-run jacks because this time Shebler scores, Iglesias scores, and the Reds are up uh, three to nothing. And Suarez got all the RBIs, got two hits. So here we are, you know. And uh, Wicker comes up. I think he strikes out. But anyway, to make a long story short, there it goes again. Somebody put me out of my misery. Anyways, to make – hold on. Let's let's come off that ledge. I am i don't even know what's going on. I think I need to go to some kind of a uh, therapy session a la Tony Soprano to get out of these uh, – to make a longer story short uh, segues. I got to find a new segue. Hey, producer, give me a new segue. Yeah, producer. Yeah, we got a new producer. He's not from Cincinnati or anything. He's not, he's not that cool, but, uh, we got a producer. Producer, I want some more segues, good ones, and no more of this, uh, to make a long story short stuff. Anyways, okay, so Luis Castillo's cruising. He's given up, he, he gave up eight hits through six innings. These shifts are crazy, as I've said. He should have had at least, well, I believe if it wasn't for these shifts, he wouldn't have had this trouble in the top of the seventh. Let me tell you what happened in the top of the seventh. So right now, Luis Castillo, six innings, five hits. Two of those, I promise you, were, were, were off, were, were, were players were not positioned correctly. And uh, he's still throwing 98. His 100th pitch in the 7th was 98 miles an hour. And it was, I'm, I'm not going to say it had the best movement on it, but it was still pretty dominating. So how do we open up the 7th? And let me get back to this situation in the game. Well, uh, Cunha gets a single, then McCann gets a single, and then Camargo gets a single. And, like, for no reason, like, remember how I've talked about Sonny Gray just pitching along and then all of a sudden, single here, double here, whatever, and it just kind of, you know, uh, gets out of control. He's sitting there with uh, no runs and one or two hits, and then all of a sudden he's got three earned runs on him or whatever. And I think he only had two earned runs that last game out. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. Castillo is cruising, and then all of a sudden he gets to the top of the seventh, and it's just single here, single there, three singles in a row, and Derek Johnson's out for the second time, or David Bell comes out to get him. And I'm just saying, hey, if you didn't do this goofy shift. Oh, and another thing, I know I'm all over the place, but he, the, the Braves, the reason I said the Braves had the timing down a little bit, and I'm not saying they did a good job. Luis Castillo had at least 10 ground ball outs tonight, and he might even had more. That's just where I lost count, and uh, we were um, logging this game. And so while he only had two strikeouts, he didn't walk a better, which I'm really proud of him. And that's where I go back to all these game recaps. They cannot, Luis Castillo cannot walk a batter. And that's why coming out of the sixth, you would have thought that Castillo was going to go eight innings because his pitch efficiency was, even though he'd only had, you know, basically two strikeouts over six, his pitch efficiency was amazing. Six innings, five hits, no runs, no walks, two Ks. And uh, that's why I said these shifts, which cost him a couple of those hits, which he should have had even less than five through six, like, that's the problem. You don't need to shift on somebody with a heartbeat and left-handed, okay? If you, if you, I just don't even know what else to say. I've gotten on you guys about these shifts. And then they write an article about how these, uh, somebody wrote an article about how this four-man outfield thing is working. I'm like, you got, like, how much water would you like to carry? Anyways, for every time that it works, it doesn't work another time. So... I mean, which 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 part of the uh, bucket would you like your out out of? Do you want it on this side or the other side? But you're giving up hits for no reason because you got this stupid ass shift. Well, I produce or engineer, you got to edit that out, okay?
Yeah, he agreed. Anyway, to get back to this game, so then the bases are juiced, and they bring in David Hernandez, and I'm sitting here going, man, I don't know if this is a good idea, but you know what? David Hernandez came in there, and he struck out the next three hitters, and I mean, it was amazing. Swanson's got with the bases juice, strikes him out. And Carte comes out, he strikes him out. Ozzy Albies comes up to pinch hit for Tehran, he strikes him out. And I even said in Resonation number 4192, I typed, I take back any bad thing I ever said about David Hernandez. Because I wasn't really jammed up about the signing uh, before last anyways and I and and I've documented in this Reds line podcast how the one cool thing I really liked about David Hernandez is he took a bunch of young pitchers out last year and bought them all suits to get off the plane go to the hotel and all this stuff because when he was a young pitcher one of those relievers or a grizzled veteran took him and some other guys out and bought them suits so I thought that was really cool but man I guess David Bell gets some credit for this because he brought in Hernandez. Hernandez is a veteran. With the bases juiced, I was like, well, Castillo's over 100 pitches. He's still a dominant pitcher. Do you leave him in there? But they brought it, you know, they, they just had him the timing down, so I think you had no choice but to pull him. And David Hernandez comes in there. Cool as can be, and just strikes out the side. You cannot say enough more about David Hernandez. It was it was a thing of beauty. If you haven't seen it, you got to go find it somewhere. And it and he walked off like a stud too, man. He struck out Albies and he put his head down and walked to the dugout like like. Gangster, and it was awesome. And what I don't mean gangster like L.A. gangster. I mean like New York, New Jersey gangster. Like, boom, you know, good morning, good afternoon, good night in Russell Iglesias fashion. Anyway, so then the rain starts in, and everybody's begging them for, for them to call it. And the grounds crew comes out. And anyways, now you're dealing with... um a new pitcher because obviously they've they've set and uh, the Reds come back out. Peraza, uh, blind squirrel, nut walks, and then um, Iglesias basically has a force out. And then Votto, my 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 favorite player, he, he grounds into a double play, and then that's where the game kind of comes around crazy, and. I am not going to criticize David Bell. I I, I kind of want to. I would not have brought in Zach Duke in the bottom of the or the top of the eighth. I just wouldn't have. And to make a long story short, you're dealing with Nick Markakis. You're dealing with Josh Donaldson, and then you're dealing with. Freddie Freeman. And I understand why you brought Duke in because there's two left-handed hitters here and they're both going to be coming up. But again, Zach Duke is not some Amir Garrett, Andrew Miller type left-handed reliever. And I just didn't agree with it. He he did get uh, Nick Markakis, who's a we've discussed him in yesterday's Reds recap. Nick Markakis grounds out pretty well right to Zach Duke, and I'm really glad that I get. I guess I'm. I, I guess, ladies and gentlemen, I am backed into a corner. I'm torn here because I'm like. Well, no, I don't want you to bring in a right-hander and then bring in another left-hander. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, this was the eighth inning set up perfectly for David Bell to use three pitchers. But I just got to say, 
I would have not brought in Duke because, I mean, Donaldson's going to crush this guy. Freeman is one of the better left-handed hitters against left-handed pitchers as far as that goes. I mean, I can see you bringing in Zach Duke to face only uh, Freddie Freeman in a game if if you need that out. And then everybody is going to say, well, that's what he did. And he got a uh, home run, which is that's what happened. Um, Josh Donaldson singles to third, basically. And then Freddie Freeman takes a, uh, I think it was a fastball. No, it was an off-speed pitch. He takes this to center field deep, man. So then the Reds are sitting here down or only up a run, three to two. And so this is what I want to say. I believe that since you had Marquez coming up, I understand why you brought in Duke, but I don't think it's a good idea. This is where you should bring in Garrett or Wandy Peralta. And like I said, Wandy Peralta is just – he doesn't lack the command or control where these players aren't going to be playing in the strike zone. I mean the hitters. So – what I want to say to you, David Bell, is I'm not going to hang you out to dry and go, David Bell! But at the same time, Zach Duke was the wrong guy to pitch to Josh Donaldson. And what I want to say to you, David Bell, is that this whole inning contradicts everything you've ever done before, even when they are mistakes. It just doesn't make any sense. Now, I'm I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, why he did it. Because Marcakis was leading off. Yeah, Donaldson right-handed. Let me, for the, the, those of you who don't know, Marcakis is left-handed hitter, and Donaldson's right-handed, and then Freeman's left-handed. So that's where there's an understanding of why, why he did it, okay? So I'm not going to sit here and... And say that his uh, strategy, I don't even know. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, cannot, can you not tell that I want to eviscerate this guy, David Bell? But I'm trying to kind of be nice about it. Because any, David Bell, it didn't make any sense. I understand why you brought in Zach Duke. But Zach Duke's not a middle reliever. You bring him in to face one left-handed pit hitter. And, and I'm not even going to say that... It, this makes a whole lot of sense, but if you would have brought him in to face Freeman, I would have understood that. If you would have, I, I wouldn't agree to bring him in against Marcakis. I feel that you should have brought in Wani Peralta and Amir Garrett to take this inning out because either one of them guys could have handled Donaldson, and Donaldson is such a great right-handed hitter, and. Duke throws junk that, I mean, these guys are really good hitters. That one, two, three of Marcakis, Donaldson, and Freeman, that's pretty good. And you used, I don't want to say Zach Duke's your worst pitcher. You have handled him worse than any other pitcher besides Lorenzen when you tried to use him every day the first 10 days of the season. But Zach Duke is the most worse, badly, whatever the word is, I, I'm discombobulated. You have used Zach Duke worse than any other reliever on your club. And that's the that's the problem. So I'm tired of being nice to you, David Bell. You had no business using Zach Duke in this inning. It made no sense. But I was still trying to be nice and be like, I just can't destroy this guy on my podcast every night. But... As I'm just talking my way through it, I got to talk myself back off the ledge, David Bell, because this was a very bad error. Now, if Zach Duke comes out there and goes one, two, three, I'm wrong. You're right. You look like a stud, but you weren't right. And I am right. So, yes, my 99.7 percentage of always being right that's universally known from coast to coast. And, well, that didn't even work out right because universally known from coast to coast. Anyways, 
I'm right 99.7% of the time. And it is famous. It is world-renowned. It is known throughout the galaxy and the universe that Jared Roberts of Reds Nation number 4192 and your host of Reds Line has a 99.7% of always being right, David Bell. So maybe, just maybe, never mind, I'm not going to go that far. Anyways, so back to this crazy eighth inning so what does david bell do after he's down or only lead clinging to a one-run lead he gets in um on the phone and they bring in iglesias and um this was where it got kind of funny because acuna walks and then he strikes out mccann and then camargo flies out so basically the Reds have the bottom of the eight to kind of come back and pad the lead a little bit, try and get some breathing room. And uh, basically the bottom of the eighth worked out where Suarez walked, um, Winker walks, and I'm thinking, man, this game is going to like you know take on a new life of its own. They'll get those two runs back pretty easily. And um, Puig lines out. Wish he would have had a little bit better at bat, but that moved the runners over. And then uh, – this is where the base running just – God, the Reds are the worst base running team in the league, and that's where I would like them to really bring in Wally Backman as the bench coach. This guy was one of the best base runners uh, ever. I mean, this guy is amazing. He could teach you the fundamentals of this game. Anyways, let me – don't get on that thing. Anyway, well, Kyle Farmer um, flies out, and Suarez scores – because it's a sacrifice, and Jesse Winker gets thrown out going to third, and it's just really bad base running. I don't want to get on Winker, but, man, they probably – I'm kind of stuck, ladies and gentlemen, because I just don't want to – I don't want to go off on the third base coach. I don't want to go off on Jesse Winker. Uh, you you had to hold up, but I would have saw how that – where they went, and the ball got cut off by – I don't know if it was the pitcher, but he was close to the pitching mound. And they fired it over to third to get Winker out. Maybe Winker hesitated. I'd have to go back and watch the tape. But regardless, this is a horrible base running team. I think there's they're, they're, they've, they've stolen four bases, and they've been caught nine times as well. So, I mean, Suarez running into an out, Dietrich getting thrown out. Uh, this other base running blunder. I mean, for all the bad offensive problems this team has, it cannot afford to get thrown out on the bases like this. So anyway, David Bell. I can't even get a good one out. I'll try it. Three, two, one. David Bell. You got to get some help, man. Call Wally Backman. You don't have anybody. I believe that Derek Johnson is a pitching guru. I believe that Turner Ward relates to these young uh, hitters. I believe those guys aren't problems. I just believe you need more help as far as fundamentals because I do think you have a good chemistry with Johnson and Turner Ward. And a lot of guys around uh, social media are are criticizing Turner Ward. He is not the problem. (laughs) Reds Nation, you you need to pull your head out and figure out that this team is just, it's having some offensive problems. And it all boils down to, there's no con- there's no cohesive lineup. You got David Bell taking orders from the Reds front office to bat his pitcher eighth because they think that Tony LaRusso is cool, and you know they're all from St. Louis, so th- just take that for what it's worth. And then he stuck, or I maybe I think it's his choice on this to bat David Bell or Votto jo- Joey Votto leadoff. See, I'm all kinds of uh, backwards here. So Joey Votto should not be leading off. I don't care if he got on base six times or whatever the two previous games. That's irrelevant. If he if he if he's going to get on base, let him get on base three third th- in the third hole, and let the four five six guys drive him in. You need to find a leadoff hitter, and that's why this team it's ran by people that don't know how to run a depth chart. They don't. They give up. I'm going to go back and I'm going to talk about a couple other things.
Um, but let me finish the game. So Iglesias comes back out. He's already got two-thirds down. He gives up a single to Swanson, strikes out on Carte. Uh, Matt Joyce comes up, and by God, Braves and uh, Reds announcers, Tom Brenneman and Think Pitch. I'm going to start calling him Think Pitch because I do. I will not name him because the, some of the stuff he says is is insane. And I don't mean insane like running outside with your clothes off in the winter with a catfish on your left hand and a dead cat in your right hand and singing the Star Spaniel. Spangled Banner and Banner insane. I'm talking like just stuff that just doesn't make any sense. So Matt Joyce comes up, and these guys go like all over themselves about how great of a hitter Matt Joyce is. And then Matt Joyce pops up to right field, and they're like, I, I will tell you, Tom Brenneman says, Whoa, uh, he gets another inch further on that bat, and that ball's out of here. And then Think Pitch says, Oh, I don't know. I I don't think that. I think a half inch. I mean, do you do you guys like really ever listen to what you're saying? Now, hey, I'll be the first to say it. I listen to all my shows after them to try and improve. And I'm not saying I'm the greatest wordsmith on the planet, but the things that you guys say are are crazy. Oh, yeah, uh, that was one inch from being out of here. Oh, no, no, a half inch. I I don't know if you guys are taking Matt Joyce out to dinner tonight or if you sent him some gift certificates to Texas Roadhouse or whatever you guys are doing, but, like, I don't even get it. Like, why don't you say something good about your team sometimes? Well, anyways... I'm going to get off on that soapbox, but these guys fall in love with the craziest visiting players or when the Reds are on the road. It's not even visiting players. I said, I I didn't say that right. Opposing players. So anyway, Nick Markakis comes up and he lines out or whatever. And uh, this was a really good outing for Iglesias. Ending in two thirds. Gets his sixth save. Gives up a hit, gives up a walk, strikes out two. He's lowering his ERA. He's down under four now. He's in the mid threes, 3.65. But let's go back to what I was saying before about, you know, the front office making no sense. They don't know how to run a depth chart. you got to look at other teams, how they build their, build their teams. Other front offices, how they build their clubs is what I want to say. And you'll see that, like, you got Suarez, you got Senzel, now you got India. You got all these left fielders. You don't have any center fielder. You got all these second basemen. You traded for all these second basemen. You traded for all these left fielders. You just, this has been 12 years of just bad trades, bad drafts, bad development, bad coaching. Two really bad. Well, I'm not going to say David Bell's a bad manager. I'm going to say he needs help. A really bad manager in Brian Price. And I don't even think he was that awful because he was on mandates from the front office when they're the guys that be held accountable for this mess. And it just boils down to, like, what I want to talk about, the lineup. That's where I was saying that Votto doesn't need to be leading off. Like, Billy Hamilton, you let go for nothing. And it's common knowledge around Major League Baseball circles that at least five teams thought they had a deal for Billy Hamilton the last two years that he was a Red, 2017 and 2018. The Giants, the Royals, the Blue Jays, and I can't remember the other two teams. I don't like hanging. Oh, the Seattle Mariners thought they had a deal for him. And um, anyway, so... I named four out of five teams that literally thought they had a deal for Billy Hamilton and the Reds don't consummate a deal. And maybe it's because, and I'll, I'll guarantee you why they let him go for nothing. They, you know, um, they didn't tend, they, they non tendered him basically. And I understand why you have been so bad at negotiating that I think when you agree to these trades for Hamilton at the very last, end of it you were like uh 
I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't feel comfortable with this package. And, and, and I don't care what package it was. I mean, I care, but in the context of what I'm about to say, I don't care what package it was. Look what you give up Chapman for. And I don't want to hear about this uh, gun going off in his garage. No charges were ever filed. The Yankees uh, media took him, and they took major heat. The Cubs took some major heat. Your your local media carries the water for you. So the, while they would have had a heyday for five minutes, they would have been the nicest media about Chapman's gun going off in his garage. You know they're going to defend you the entire way because they defend all your trades. They defend all your bad moves. So for you to say that it was because of um, personal issues, even if you want to use that excuse, the market was down on him. Look what the Yankees got from the Cubs. They got um, God. Who they get? They got Billy McKinney. They got that shortstop who is considered the Cubs' number one prospect. They got. Um, Adam Warren back, and they got somebody else. I'm not going to go into it because I'm just, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just doing this off memory. I'm not even got the, I don't even got a computer on in front of me, which I need to actually set this thing up on a computer and have baseball reference and be able to like just look this stuff up. I'm just, I'm just winging it. So, you guys have made every bad trade. I mean, from 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 Scott Rowan bringing him in. And Walt Jockety forced in Toronto to take back Edwin Encarnacion, who was a great hitter before he got traded. I don't care what you say, Reds Nation. you got to go look at the numbers. 22, 23, 24, 25-year-old player putting those kind of on-base percentages up, that kind of power numbers. Everybody in baseball knew he was going to be a special player. I mean, this guy came from the Texas Rangers organization. I mean, you can't even – like. From that trade to the Adam Dunn trade, which was horrible, uh, overpaying for Matt Latos, and everybody's going to say, well, you know, we got all the way to the 2012 and 13. I don't care. You give up uh, two number one picks and a number two or number three with Boxberger, and then you give them back Volquez. And the only reason you give them Volquez was payroll. Like, this is like the team is just not ran very good. I, and I hate to say it, I, I love the Reds. I wish I could work for them. I mean, everybody knows that. Um, I went to school to learn how to uh, scout and uh, learn baseball operations. I trained under uh, – um, God, this is going to sound stupid because I can't even remember the guy's name right now. But he was the uh, Dodgers GM back in the mid-2000s. Uh, I can figure out his name later if I just keep talking. And I went to school for it and because I care so much about this team and uh, learned how to scout, learned how to profile players, and uh, learned inner workings of the front office and how to negotiate trades. And I'm already a good negotiator. I mean, I hate – this is turning into like pro Jared. But, no, I'm just saying like I care about this team so much I hate to criticize the front office. But, man, at some point you got to have credibility. And the local media doesn't have credibility because literally what has changed? Nothing except the players and the managers merry-go-round. And But what has remained the same? you got the same guys pulling the triggers. Now, you fired Jeff Gropp or removed him or whatever and promoted two other guys up, you know, but that's – that's not making a change in your drafting and uh, scouting uh, and development department. It's not making the major changes when you just promote from within. Just like when you promoted Dick Williams from GM to president of baseball operations and then promoted Nick Rawl to GM to take all the heat because of your 3-15 and 15 or 3-18 and 18 record last year when you canned David Price in April. So what I want to say is, this just isn't in the 18 or 19 season. This goes all the way back to when Walt Jockety was hired and bad trade after bad trade and all these Cardinals coming in here, Ludwig, Renteria, Schumacher. I mean, millions upon millions. And I'm not saying they paid, like, overpaid for it. Well, no, they did overpay for these guys. But I'm not saying they signed, they, they, they missed on a $25 million player. They missed on every medium-sized contract player that you can bring in here. 
And then you guys are going to say, well, Ryan Ludwig, you know, he carried the team. Well, man, that was – he was hot for literally six weeks in the summer, man. Don't even give me that. I mean, just go back and look at the game logs. He had a run. And then they give him a two-year extension. That, in fact, that signing for $2.5 million or whatever they paid him or $2 million for that one year and that season where he was hot for about two months, that cost the Reds a World Series because instead of improving that left field, they doubled down on Ludwig. It was the dumbest I wasn't anti-Ludwig other than he was a former Cardinal when he, they brought him in to be a fourth outfielder, pitter off the bench. I was fine with that. I was like, hey, this makes a little sense. I mean, I don't like former Cardinals. But but then, you know, they had that injury, and then Ludwig's, you know, the rest is history. That re-signing right there cost the Reds the World Series. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you say to me. That was a major mistake. Anyway, to make a longer story short, up oh, there it goes again. Anyways, so back to what I'm trying to say to you. Johnny Cueto traded for Finnegan, Reed, and Lamb. Didn't get nothing out of him. Jay Bruce, who they had deals to the Indians. They had deals uh, negotiated with the Mariners. They ended up going with the Mets and could have had Nimmo and probably another pitcher or another player. I would have liked to gotten... Um, I think Oswald, Corey Oswald, or Cody Oswald, yeah, Roy Oswald's boy. No, then they the medicals wouldn't go good on Nimmo, just like the medicals wouldn't go on Sean Manea. So then they 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 redid the Royals. I mean, it's just and if you don't believe me, go look at the go look at the uh, links from the uh, Reds Royals Cueto trade. There was a holdup because Manea's uh, medicals, the Reds uh, medical staff wouldn't clear him. So then they had to go rework the trade. And here's the other thing. This is what should piss off everybody. When that trade got a hold up on medicals, other teams called the Reds and wanted Cueto. And do you want to know what Walt Jockerty did? He wouldn't even open up the negotiations. He just went with the Royals and redid the deal and took back a worse package. That shows you how bad this front office is and their baseball philosophy. Now, I'm all for being loyal, but if a medical comes back on a player, you you got to go negotiate and say, well, well, we're going to have to do this, this, and this. And in fact, it's not even their fault because, and I'm not talking about the Reds' fault, I'm talking about the players' fault, because Sean Manea pitched some fine for three years, and now he's down with Tommy John. But you would have rather had Sean Manea for 16, 17, and 18, and then had him out this year if he didn't have, in fact, get Tommy John. And then you would have had him for 20, 21, 22, or whatever, you know, when he gets back off this Tommy John surgery. You would have had a borderline ace. And I'm I'm getting mad because every time I talk about this stuff, you can't make up how bad these guys are at their trades. Chapman for Cotham, Jaglio, uh, Renda, and Cotham, did I say Cotham already? I say Renda. I mean, who, care, who, who cares? It was a bad package. And in fact, I said it in Reds Nation 4192 the last two nights. Every time I see Dansby Swanson, I get so mad at Walt Jockety. I don't even want to watch the Reds play the Braves. Because right after the 2015 season, when the Reds turned down at the, right after the All-Star game, they turned down a, well, I take that back. It was it was earlier before the All Star break. I just wish they would have went after the All Star break and did it. Houston offered him a really kind of crazy package, uh, which would have set the team up a lot better. They would have had Domingo Santana. They would have had uh, Mark Appel, which he didn't go anywhere. But that's not the point. They would have had Velasquez, who went to Philadelphia, who had a couple good seasons, and they would have probably got Brett Phillips. So, anyways. They had a much better trade package from the Astros, but then they could have had Aaron Judge back then at the trade deadline when the Yankees wanted him. They probably could have had uh, uh, that. Who, who cares? They could have had multiple top Yankees prospects in 2015 at the deadline. Well, anyways, after the year 2015, Tony La in uh, Arizona, right? And right after the season, Tony La Russa wanted to bring in uh, Chapman. He wanted that Eckersley-type closer and I wasn't for for trading Chapman but the Reds could have Dansby Swanson and, and probably Encarte who's now playing for the Braves you could have a center fielder and a shortstop for Chapman starting players and the Reds wouldn't negotiate this is I just know this from inside baseball stuff 
The Reds wouldn't negotiate. They wanted to wait and later on and field all these offers. Man, are you guys crazy? I like you just are on these bankers hours. You need to work you need to work every day, holidays, nights, weekends, whatever, man, because you could have pulled down in Carte for center field, Dansby Swanson, the number one pick from earlier that year, and probably another couple players for Chapman. And you just and you drop the ball, and then we had this problem in the offseason. So if you know you're going to trade him, ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake, the Reds were going to trade him because they had already been filling offers for him, and they didn't want to pay him and all this other stuff. So if you're going to trade him, get a trade done. You don't got to – well, Jockey, Dick Williams, you don't got to wait for the winter meetings, okay? Gosh darn it. I haven't told you about how Josh Donaldson got traded Thanksgiving Day between the Blue Jays and the Oakland Athletics texting. Oh, have I told you this? Walt Jockety won't text anybody. I, I, I'm assuming Dick Williams will. But back then, Walt Jockety would not text other GMs. They would, he would only work off the phone. Anyway, to make a long story short, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, back to the depth chart, that's why this team has so many problems. Because they don't ever trade from depth. They wait too long to trade their players. And when they do trade the players, they get hosed on every trade. And like I said, five teams, and I named four of them, the Blue Jays, the Royals, um, the Giants, and the Mariners, all thought they had deals for Billy Hamilton. And then the media comes out and says that Bob Castellini would not let them trade Billy Hamilton. Well, Local Cincinnati media, why don't you explain this one to me? If Bob Castellini won't let you trade Billy Hamilton, why would Bob Castellini let you non-tender him a contract? Now give me a break. That makes no sense. That's an excuse that they always make whenever they don't trade a player at a certain time. And you want to know how I know this? Because when Walt Jockety was asked why he didn't make moves or why he didn't make a move, he would say, we like our club. And when they asked him, doubled down on asking him, and the local Cincinnati media doesn't ask him these questions. This is like Major League Baseball Network and stuff. His lines were, we like our club. And when they'd ask him about, well, uh, don't you want to get, get a winner, da-da-da? And he would say this line over and over and over again. Do you know who I work for? Referencing Bob Castellini is wanting to be a winner. And so... All I'm telling you is when they say Bob Castellini wouldn't approve trades, that is so – I am calling it right now. I'll do a press conference in front of that ballpark with that entire front office and Bob Castellini himself. That is just more BS because read the tea leaves, ladies and gentlemen. If Bob Castellini won't approve a trade of Billy Hamilton, why would he let you – okay, why would he let you non-tender him? Okay, because here's the deal. Now, you can say, well, saving money, that's fine. But you could have tendered him a contract, got him a contract, and then traded him because there's teams out there that actually wanted him and probably would have paid him whatever you had uh, worked out a trade, uh, worked out a deal for him. Or you could have traded him, and they would have went to arbitration with him. So don't tell me that Bob Castellini stood in your way of trading him. I don't care because everything you did after that contradicts what you said then. Anyways, so let's get back to this game before I go on a uh, another tangent in the last 20 minutes. Anyways, let's get to the good things. And on the number one on my list on the good things is going to be, well, I was going to give it to Luis Castillo, but I'm going to give it to David Hernandez. David Hernandez, you came in with the bases juice and you struck out three players Good morning, good afternoon, good night. And I'm not talking about strike one, strike two, strike three. I'm talking about batter one, two, and three with the bases loaded. After three straight singles, you struck out three straight batters, and it was a thing of beauty. David Hernandez, enjoy your number one on the good things list. Number two on the good things list, i got to give it to my man, Luis Castillo. Man, I'll tell you what, without that shift, Castillo, I believe you would have went seven innings. I believe you would have been a lot better off. Uh, six plus innings, eight hits, no runs, uh, no walks, two Ks, 
And like I said, I believe if you wouldn't have that crazy shift earlier in the game, giving up those hits, that should not have been hits. You know, left-handed batter comes up. He's got a heartbeat. Up, oh, we got to do a shift. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, to make a long story short, Luis Castillo, you lowered your ERA day. You lowered your ERA down to 1.23. I'm really proud of you. I hope that uh, this game, when you didn't have your, well, you had your best stuff. The Braves were just, uh, were just timing it right. They just wasn't getting good one on the baseball. I know you got at least 10 ground ball outs. I'm glad you had a game like this. I would have rather you had 10 strikeouts, but uh, I'm glad you uh, saw this game and or not saw the game. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you got in a game like this where they were hitting you, but you weren't getting too uh, beat around. And like I said, you were an amazing pitcher. Uh, I guess, you know, the Dan Straley trade sort of working out. And so I just, got evi- I just eviscerated the Reds front office for bad moves. But ladies and gentlemen, a lot of people in baseball said that Luis Castillo was a reliever. And he has proved us all wrong, and it's because of that changeup. He didn't have that changeup when he was in AA in the Marlins organization, ladies and gentlemen. I promise you that. He has developed it with the Reds, and who's ever helped him with that changeup, props to you. You've done a great job. And Luis Castillo, you're number two on the good things list. So number three, it's got to go to Suarez. Hey, Suarez, you should have two home runs, man. You should have two home runs. Instead, you were uh, two for three with a run and three RBIs and a walk, man. You were on base three times. Man, I'm, you just had a heck of a good game. And I'm guaranteeing you, man, if we use uh, Tom Brenneman and think pitches uh, uh, words about Matt Joyce's uh, inches and half inch from the baseball, if you just had a half inch more or an inch more, You'd be sitting at two home runs, my friend, with us with two three-run jacks. But it was amazing. Uh, if it wasn't for Suarez, if it wasn't for uh, Hernandez coming in and doing what he did, you'd probably be number one on the good things list, or even number two, because Luis Castillo, even though even though he only had two Ks, he still was pretty dominant as far as like efficiency until he got. Well, the only reason he wasn't efficient was because of those stupid shifts. But I'm going to shut up about that because I'll go off on that shift thing. And again, anyways, to make a long story short, there's another one. Somebody put him down. Anyways, so let's get to the bad things list. (laughs) Number one, David Bell, stop using the shift. You're making your starters. Anyways, David Bell. You're costing your starters some hits on some players that don't even need the shift. If you want to shift on, I wouldn't even shift on Freddie Freeman. I wouldn't shift on, maybe I would shift on Nick Marcakis. I don't know. But Camargo, give me a break, man. The guy's hitting 220. Why would you put a shift on him? I don't care what those analytics say. Analytics is one thing, and then scouting is another. you got to put them together. You can't have a cookie-cutter approach to analytics. Like, I'm trying to talk soft so it doesn't hurt your feelings, but that shift probably cost Luis Castillo going seven innings. It probably cost him a couple hits at least because he had eight hits through six-plus when he probably would have had, like, uh, only five hits going into that seventh, and you would have had a different... um, set of hitters coming up, and I believe that he wouldn't have those three singles. Now, this is all, you know, what ifs. I'm not going to lie, but I'm telling you, the way the dominoes hit, he's he has those extra runners on base, and he had to pitch around that. He had to pitch around them uh, them five hits, and I'm telling you, he should have only had three. You know what I mean? Because he gave up three hits in the uh, seventh, so he would have only had like three hits through six, and you would have had a whole completely different layout as far as the uh, the outs there. And that's all I'm saying, David Bell. So, like, I understand if Jock Peterson's up there and you want to put a shift on that guy. I would even understand Cody Bellinger. I would not understand Corey Seager. Just like I don't think that Freddie Freeman needs a shift, that guy's a pretty dang good hitter. He can just shift. He can just hit that ball over to 
uh, the left side of the infield, just like Joey Votto does. It's not even that difficult. Um, anyways, David Bell, you're number one on my bad things list. Number two on my bad things list, David Bell. Using Zach Duke in the top of the eighth was just a major, like, I tried to explain it. I tried to say how, well, I see where you're coming from, but no, I don't because Zach Duke's not a middle reliever, man. I understand you had two left-handed hitters, but who are the two left-handed hitters? These aren't like seven, eight, nine, six, seven, eight. These are one, two, three, the Braves, man. We're talking about Markakis, Donaldson, and Freeman, probably three all-stars. So, I mean, it's just, why would you use Zach Duke against those guys? It makes no sense. I would bring Zach Duke in against, you know, like a Bellinger. I would use, I, and I'm not saying those guys are not good or better than Bellinger. I would bring him in as a change of pace as the game is going, if that makes sense. If you got a right-handed hitter throwing heat and you just want to bring in against one left-handed batter, Zach Duke is a loogie. He, you bring him in for one hitter. You got a guy throwing darts, and then you want to get one big out, you bring in Zach Duke, or you bring in like a Jared used to get a ground ball. So, David Bell, your number one and number two on the bad things list. Try not to tear you up, David Bell. I feel pretty bad. Anyway, so number three on the bad things list. I'm just going to say it. Scott Shebler, you got a walk today. You scored a run, but you're hitting under a buck fifty. I am sorry, but they have got to bench you and they got to get a center fielder. They should have traded for Kevin Pillar of the Blue Jays when they had a shot. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, they could have traded Billy Hamilton in the offseason for probably Kevin Pillar and made a deal. Just traded two similar salaried guys. No, they didn't want to do that. I, I can't go off on it. I just. Anyways, we need to do an off-season show this off-season. I can map out a strategy for the entire Reds off-season. And then I'll actually um, show you how to run a depth chart. Like, my point is, you got Suarez, you got India, you got, you know, you had Kozart. I mean, you trade players like Kozart to make room for Suarez. You don't move Suarez to third because you can't run a fax machine and make a deal for Kozar. I mean, good God. So anyway, number three on the bad things list, Scott Shebler, who was a here, let me, perfect example of a depth chart. You just traded Mike Leak for Adam Duvall, who is only a left fielder, and Kerry Mella, or however you pronounce his name. Then in the offseason, you acquire another left fielder. Everybody knows Scott Shepler is not a center fielder or right fielder. He would not be used in center fielder or right fielder by any other team. So when you trade Red's front office for Adam Duvall, and you know that he's a left fielder, why would you trade for another left fielder? That's why they don't know how to run a depth chart. Anyways, oh, and then when they traded Adam Duvall, to clear up a four-man outfield rotation, they bring back an outfielder in Preston Tucker. You see what I'm saying? And then they don't know how to run a depth chart based on options because they brought back Matt Whistler, who they should have never brought back. And I like Matt Whistler. I didn't like that they acquired him in that trade because he was out of options after that year. And you see what happened. And then Lucas Sims, he's lighting up the uh, AAA right now. He's being really good. So, I mean, they might have gotten a good starting pitcher out of that deal, but like I said, if you just look at the trades, you have no idea how to run a depth chart. You have no idea on your service time. You, you know, if, if, if you guys just got caught to baseball contracts, baseball reference, fan graphs out, you can map out all this stuff, and you can bring up a depth chart through MLB.com, and you could actually do your own um, depth chart at home if you had that kind of grid or whatever, but uh, not grid, but you know what I'm saying, a spreadsheet somehow. So you could actually make up a depth chart and use these tools, and you could see what I'm talking about. Anyways, so where do we go from here? Well, I'll tell you what. They're going to St. Louis, and it's basically the Cards Ace, Mikolas, versus, uh, is it Disclafani? Is he on his pitching tomorrow? Yep, I knew it was. I had to look at it because I've been on my rant here. I knew it was Disco. 
had to look at look, look at it look at it real quick on my phone and uh i'm hoping that disco goes out and does another great performance you know uh last time out he really uh did a good job um i but this is the cardinals it could be a whole different ball game um last time against st louis I mean, he only lasted four innings, five hits, four earned runs, walked three batters. I mean, struck out three. So the problem with Disco is the last two starts before the last one against the Pirates and the Cardinals, who happened to be in the Reds' division, who the Reds will face over and over, Disco give up like 10 earned runs over like eight and a third innings. And the Cardinals tore him up. The Pirates tore him up. I think he they they hung six earned on him. Okay, where he pitched good at San Diego, that's Petco Park, man. That's a huge park where he did give up six innings. Not give up. He pitched six innings. Only allowed a few hits, one earned run. So while, you know, that's where I've advocated to trade Disco to Seattle where he could have some success in a big ballpark like that. You know, uh, in San Diego's last time out, six innings, two hits, one earned run, one walk, six Ks. If he's in uh, a Petco Park pitching or Safeco Field in Seattle, like that's where he's going to have the most success. You see him in the, you know, at Pittsburgh and at home versus uh, the, the the Cardinals, or I guess that was down that was down in uh, <laughs> Mexico. But anyways, you get what I'm saying here, ladies and gentlemen. The disco, the disco, is just a. Uh, this is a guy they probably need to trade, and I'm telling you right now, if he pitches good against the Cardinals. I wouldn't sit there and wait and uh, rest on the laurels. I would try and work a deal with the Mariners for him because the Mariners need starters. They've just traded for uh, Mike Wright, and uh, who was uh, designated for assignment, and they just give uh, Nice, who is a former Mets uh, pitcher, a contract. They need starters. I would do a deal right now and trade Disco to them, try and get Evan White, try and get Matthew Festa for the bullpen. He He has options, by the way. And... You know, bring up Sims to take up that spot. Sims can pitch right now in uh, in the majors. And anyway, to make a longer story short, I would still... <laughs> I said it again. I cannot believe it. Anyways, so that's what they got to do. Now, are they going to do this? No, they're going to ride Disco because he's on a real cheap contract. And they, for some reason, think he's not a reliever. And I don't think he is a reliever, but I believe he's a reliever in Cincinnati. But I believe if he gets out of, if if I, I believe if he got in that Mariners ballpark, he would have no problems uh, being a serviceable number three starter there. In Cincinnati, he's just going to have too many problems. Uh, when he's not in a big ballpark, he's going to have plenty of problems. You put him out in L.A. or San Diego or Seattle on that West Coast. And he's going to be a completely different pitcher and have a lot more success. So, anyways, uh, I know we were talking about my schooling before. I had to wring my head. It was Dan Evans, who I studied under. And then I, the scouting director, who, uh, or not the scouting director, but uh, the, the scout actually was a uh, former Red Scout, Pirate Scout back in the 70s and 80s. And uh, his name was Larry D'Amato. So you can look up those two names, and that's where, you know, I went to school. And uh, because I know a lot of you are probably like, oh, my gosh, we need to, you know, who the hell is this guy? But like I said, you know, anyway, to make a long story short, never mind. Yeah, never mind. I just keep saying to make a longer story short, and I cannot believe I keep saying it. We got to fix this, engineer. Anyways, that's all I wanted to tell you about my background because, like I said, a lot of people are going, well, 
who does this guy think he is? Well, I've been around a little bit, know a lot of people in baseball, and uh, always had a passion for this game. Love the Cincinnati Reds. My grandmother was actually from Covington, Kentucky, and then lived in Cincinnati, as she would say. And uh, she worked for a um, orphan for boys, an orphanage for boys. And back in the Crosley days, Crosley Field days, my grandmother, who's named Agnes Mitchell, would get free tickets to take all these boys from the orphanage over to Crosley Field, and she followed everybody. And Pete Rose, when he came up, was her favorite because he was a local boy. And then she went, and then the riverfront opened up, and the, she was still there in the early 70s for that. And uh, that's how I you know, became a passionate Reds fan because she told me about Johnny Vandermeer's two back-to-back no-hitters and uh, her love of Pete Rose and the Big Red Machine, and we I got all this Reds mem- memorabilia from the 60s and 70s, well, 50s, actually, and even before that. So anyway, that tells you a little bit about the host of Reds Line and the uh, guy who started Reds Nation number 4192, because apparently I got all these anti-fans out there that uh, like to use uh, Jordan Belmont uh, memes. <laughs> Anyways, so from the Little Apple all the way back to Reds country, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to call it a night. It's a late night Reds uh, line because we had that rain delay. And uh, I'm real excited for this next series. Going to be in St. Louis. I'm hoping the Reds can take them out. If they can actually get closer to 500, that would be the best case scenario. So anyway, I already said from the Little Apple all the way back to Reds country. So uh, we will turn this Reds line edition off, and I will see you tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen.